and you you always get those feelings of like why am i doing that imposter syndrome like does anyone like am i credible hello and welcome to the pro rugby pod i'm your host brian moylet i'm a former irish international age grade player and each week i chat with a player a coach or a person involved at the top end of the game to hear about their story get their insights and find out what life is like in professional rugby. On Instagram, I'm the Offfield Rugby Coach. That's at Offfield Rugby. Please follow me there and let me know any thoughts or feedback you have for the pod. Please subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. And also, please share the pod with some friends. Those simple actions have a big impact and are really, really appreciated. Today I chat with Pete Breen, who is a former professional rugby player, currently a professional coach, and also founder of Rugby Bricks. On the Rugby Bricks Instagram, Pete creates content on rugby skills, mainly around kicking and passing. And he has also designed kicking tees that are now used by some of the top goal kickers in world rugby. On the pod, Pete gives great advice and tips around kicking, and talks about what he did himself to become a confident goal kicker. He also talks about what it was like playing under Tony Brown, who is the current Japan coach, and what he learned from that experience. We chat about rugby bricks, and Pete gives a story behind why he started it. He talks about the imposter syndrome that he has felt, how he became a better communicator, and what he did to get more engagement for rugby bricks online. We also chat about his coaching roles. He actually mentions on the pod that he has just stepped away from his role as the backs coach with the Australian national women's team. But he's been there for the past couple of years and he talks about what he's learned there. And he's also with the rugby league team, the Melbourne Storm, who play in the NRL. And he gives some pretty cool insights into the differences around kicking in rugby league, Aussie rules and union, and also between men and women. Together, we're running a competition on Instagram right now, and you can see the details of that on my Instagram page, the Off Field Rugby Coach. That's at Off Field Rugby. I'll chat more about that at the end of the podcast. But here is episode number 13 with Pete Breen. I'm here with Pete Breen, former ITM Cup player and current coach of the Wallaroos, the Australian women's team, and the Melbourne Storm and also founder of Rugby Bricks. Pete, cheers for jumping on. No problem at all. I'm really looking forward to having a chat, and um, yeah, love podcasts, so excited to get through it. Cheers, yeah, I really enjoy your one. Um, So, out, work, out, learn, the Rugby Bricks mantra, is that something that has kind of been with you for a while? Did you have that mindset as a player? I certainly did, because I... I definitely wasn't the quickest, the strongest, so I had to be really creative with um, getting, I, I actually, the reason why it really came about is I missed out on the team I was going for for three years in a row, so Otago, um, I was in the academy, my mates were getting into the team, um, you know, you sort of measure yourself off off your environment, so I was felt like I was getting left behind, and it was more just a case of well, I've got to get better. I've got to outwork people here. Um, a couple of other mates were making decisions. Ah, oh, this is too hard. I'm going to go off and do something else. But I was like, nah, stay in it, and um, and finally got in. And I guess um, if you're not just an absolute genetic freak who gets picked 
straight away um having the mantra of outwork and outlearn is a really good thing so especially with goal kicking it aligns really well with rugby bricks um so hence why yeah we put it on the wristbands and really stand by it yeah that's brilliant so when you were trying to break into that otago team you're playing club rugby was that it yeah so club rugby in dunedin was in the academy um in and out of trainings and I guess looking back on it now, like I wasn't good enough, but I probably just didn't understand what I was missing. Like I wasn't exposed to the next level. Um, And playing number 10 in New Zealand is also a really hard gig. There's a lot of seriously talented people around. So um, yeah, just had to brush up on my goal kicking, make sure that that was right. Um, Had to learn how to be more of an attacking threat. So And I picked up rugby sort of a little bit later than most people. So, um, yeah, just had to had to figure out a way to actually be at the standard they needed me to be at. Nice one. And then how did you work on your attacking game? Did you kind of watch others around you? Did you ask for advice or how did you go about that? Yeah, asked a lot of people. The the light bulb moment for me. So Tony Brown, the coach at the time, he coaches Japan, he's the coach of the Highlanders, he was coaching us with Otago and he, he gave me the really good advice of whenever you're at 10, you're either passing fast or running fast. So there's no in between. Like I don't want you to try and be clever. It's you've made a decision to move the ball quick or you're attacking fast. And I think that was really good for me because then all of a sudden you're not doing anything sort of slow or guessing or you see a lot of players dancing or just a little bit unsure so as soon as I tried to take that into the game all of a sudden the 30 40 times you are touching the ball you're really fast and electric um and that really helped me it was a game changer yeah that sounds awesome it kind of sounds like you're not thinking too much either like you're not spending too much time thinking about the different options you're just you're just going yeah and and I think the common phrase is just play what's in front of you. And it's actually, it's not very good advice for young players because yes, once you've had a bit of a career, you're sort of a little bit later, you're 26 to 30 years of age, you've seen a lot of pitches. But when you're trying to contribute and help the team and you know earn your jersey, you kind of just want a job to do. And what that gave me was really clear tasks that he was watching for and I could watch for and really measure whether I was doing that effectively or not. Um, Whereas what I was doing was trying to be right 100% of the time, all the time, every situation, without actually doing anything um, with real purpose or energy. And when when I brought that in, the other cool thing that happens is when you run fast, you break the line, you break tackles, you create more offloads because you're more of a threat, um, and you create more opportunities for other people. So... um, that's definitely one thing that I've been passing on to every player I've been coaching. Nice. And did you take on some of the other kind of styles or mantras from Tony Brown, like a pretty good guy to learn under for your coaching now? Yeah, he probably made me more aware of what what the impact I was having on other players around me, like especially when passing to a forward pod, like how can you give them the best opportunity to be successful off you um, in the fast transfer spiral. He was seriously organized with his coaching 
players one through to 15. Like we all had really clear tasks, just like I explained about my job at 10 with the kicking game, passing game, running game. Every player he coached and why it was so enjoyable is we all knew the exact task. It wasn't just, hey, Pete, go and play well, because that's really hard to know what to do and tick off and, you know, get the positive snowball rolling. So definitely have taken that into my coaching now and just being organized players one through to 15. Yeah. Do you think that when players know kind of three or four clear points that it allows them to focus in on that and then not get overwhelmed by, you know, there's so much going on in the game of rugby and there's so much that you can concentrate on? Absolutely. And with coaching the woman, especially, um, generally a lot of overthinking and questioning and self-doubt um, and in the, the men's game, absolutely as well. But I probably saw more of it in the women's game where if I just say to a player, just want you to really be engaged and go out there and play well and just be involved with everything, there's nothing measurable in those statements. Whereas if I can tell a player on your carries, like let's see if we can break the first tackle, um, keep a leg alive, and your job is just to give me two meters on every carry post-contact. And now all of a sudden they can achieve that and then the positive snowball of playing. And, and the good thing that happens is when we feel like we're contributing, we feel really good about things. And it, you just got to give a player, how can you contribute within our game plan? And when you do that, um, really good things happen. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I also coach women and I found similar similar things and also that they ask a lot more questions, which as a coach can be a kind of, I found a really good thing because it yep. allows you to give more detail. Whereas, like you said, you I think for guys, you can just kind of give a more general instruction and they'll go and have a crack and feel somewhat comfortable with that. But women want the more, more detail. Mm. We had a really amazing discussion with um, a couple of coaches in America and it was shown that there was, they did a study with 100 um, coaches, male coaches coaching in the, the female environment and there was something like 300% more questions in the women's game than the men's game. Um, so just knowing that, I think one thing I've definitely tried to bring in is you have three ways of training so definitely learning phase where ask as many questions as you want walking through it ask just ask away and then sort of the execution phase where if we're doing this drill I don't mind you sort of questioning and asking the odd question but generally we want to execute and then game focus so you can't ask questions in this block and training there's no time for questions just execute or look at it on video later so I think setting the girls up really of what the vibe for the block was really did help because then they had to get into the mindset of that yeah it's really good and have you found any other kind of differences in the women's game versus the men's game so like around kicking they women don't kick the ball as far as men and kicking is such a big part of rugby today so as a an attack coach have you kind of had any different ideas with coaching the women's game yeah in general it's definitely behind like we can think about most of the men's game and people that can dominate a game of rugby with their boot like um, Owen Farrell Johnny Sexton Carter did it for years like they can literally dominate a game there's not too many people maybe Emily Scarrett for England who's um, a serious kicker of the ball that can really dominate um, I think it's coming like 
I've been so impressed in the last couple of years just with the development that I've seen with kicking um, and just the strategies behind it, all the rest of it, very organized, which is cool. Um, the one thing that I definitely noticed just mechanically is when we train people to kick, male or female, generally we start really small and just that little knee flick drill back and forth, sort of 10, 10 meters. And if that's all you've ever done, um, all you end up doing is being really frontal with your technique. So you just knee, knee flick. And then when I tell you to kick it further, you knee flick harder and everything's just out the front. The biggest wins that I've had with the girls is um, taking the ball out of it and just showing them what a full range of backswing looks like. So big glute extension, you really feel your, your butt really active, your knees nice and high out the back and your foot's up about hip height. So now all of a sudden we can store energy behind the ball to then put through the ball. So um, that's where I've definitely got the biggest wins with the girls. And just to wrap up on that, like one really good example, Georgia Cormick, who I work with, five foot two, um, 55 kilos halfback. Like she is a small girl, but because she's learned how to use her body, she's she's banging them over from 40 now um, with a full technique. So the more we see of that, like the more the game's going to improve. Wow. Yeah. And... So it's, it really isn't about the size or like size of people when it comes to distance on kick. It's technique and then somewhat power and power and strength in the legs. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it is definitely more about technique and using your hip power as well. So again, if we're just knee flicking, we're not accessing our hip power and our upper body. And um, I suppose generally a boy grows up kicking a ball and kicking his ball as far and as hard as they can. And, and there probably isn't that with, with the female. So it's quite foreign to have this 100% power plus 100% technique. It's just taking a little bit longer. Um, but with the other thing is like, you think about the amount of rep sides and academies and coaching that the male game has had. Once the female game catches up on that and we've got 14-year-old girls in academies learning how to kick, like it's just going to explode. There's no issue with kicking power in soccer or AFLW over here. It's because rugby union's behind um, probably at least five years and it's just going to take a little while to catch up as a whole. Yeah, 100%. And you just mentioned soccer there, and I've seen you do some kind of different kicking uh, drills with a soccer ball. So what's the thinking behind using a soccer ball? Yeah, so we use it um, with the Melbourne Storm. So the boys all do primers for about 10 minutes with the soccer balls before each session. There's two reasons. The first one is um, when you've got a massive training load like they do with a lot of high run speed meters, their hammies and groins and hip flexes, they've got a big load in the week already. And then coming off game week, if they've had a massive game like think about a fullback like Ryan Pappenhausen like if he's if his legs are already cooked because you know mid-season there's a lot on so how can we still get you you know 200 touches in a kicking session without being at full noise and having your full um, power on and so just using the soccer balls gives you a lot of touches and a lot of feedback and we we only really do when you kick a soccer ball along the ground and make it roll, you use the inside of your foot and sort of push kick it. So that's how a soccer pass. We we don't do any of that. We do like a grubber style 
kick where your foot's up the back of the ball and we're trying to be nice and straight with our contact and when we do that to each other the ball gives us feedback straight away like we come off the outside the inside when you roll the ball straight to your partner you know that your everything's aligned your ball drop your body your foot um and then we progress sorry into um drop kicks and and punting with the soccer ball and it's just a really good way to spend 10 minutes and get 100 touches straight away. And all the boys just really improved in the first six weeks because they were just getting so many touches, so much feedback on from the ball, and their ball drop, everything was great using the soccer ball. Yeah, nice. And have you found any difference with league and union? So say, yeah, we're coaching those guys. Anything technically different with the kickers in league? AFL has got a big impact over here, um, and it's quite a it's quite a tight and tidy technique. So, like a kick pass in, in rugby union, so you're really only needing sixty seventy percent power. You can sort of stay pretty front on. Um, what I find is that when it comes to the the big kicks, like a big bomb with height and hang time and distance that the technique wasn't really um, tight enough to really trust and be really good at. And you noticed in the NRL, like the players that are dominating, like Nathan Cleary with his up and unders, um, they've got a really good 100% kick where they can have huge power, huge follow through. Um, And so that was a good win for us, just being able to actually enjoy the follow through a little bit more, get out of that really tight body over and actually allow things to get a little bit taller and a little bit more powerful with the goal kicking um definitely we spent a lot of work going through the 10 pillars and just getting the boys organized on that um because i i definitely felt that there was it was pretty cowboy just chuck the ball on the tee and and see what happens um so we sorted out a lot of the processes there yeah 100 percent. i am used to watch a little bit of league growing up but not a whole pile and i used to find that they didn't really concentrate or think that they didn't really concentrate at all on kicking like in super league especially is more what i would have been watching but you look at union and it was around the time say oh three with wilkinson and neil jenkins guys like that whereas then in league they used to yeah just have a swing at it and yeah and I think because because of the, in rugby union like three points for a penalty, I think that's probably why in the way we used to see games like six nine or um, six nil, that's probably why union put so much effort and a goal kicker was you know the old saying the first person you write down on the team sheet, whereas maybe the focus wasn't like that in um, league because of so. Yeah, the history of it just meant that a lot of the boys were just cowboys like the guys they watched growing up. But I, I think if you can go up in sixes um, in, in rugby league, man, you can get out in front so quick. Um, so, yeah, it can have a big impact. Yeah, 100%. And then I thought they kind of had different styles as well, like JT, Johnson Thurston, yeah. used to kind of swing around the corner, and you'd never see that in Union. Nah, never. And very unique, very his style. Um, and we all do what we grow up watching like i was the first person to grab a low t like dan carter do his run up like the exact same thing did the johnny wilkinson hands like you just do what you see on tv right and um mm. and that's why i'm such a big fan of of kids and people wanting to work on their goal kicking like have favorite players because you learn so much about goal kicking just by trying to imitate the pros 
Yeah, 100%. I think it's a really good way for players to learn as well, just in any part of the game to just watch your favorite players and then try and recreate or replicate what they're doing. Absolutely, yeah. Big fan of it. And there's so many good examples now with goal kicking, like the level and standard has just really improved. Um, I mean, it's always been good, but man, there's just so many more good kickers these days. Yeah. And have you always wanted to be a coach, say, back when you were playing was it something that you thought you were going to do after you retired? I was always very interested in that side of the game. It probably wasn't more I want to coach. I just love the tactics and game driving and what's the game plan. Um, that was one of the big things from Tony that I learned is um, it's it's our plan versus their plan and whoever can execute it best on the day wins the game. Like it's not rugby versus rugby we need to decide as a team what we want to be best at, like what are the key areas. And with the, the Highlanders in Otago playing under the roof at Forsyth Bar Stadium, we could have an exceptional kicking game that applied a lot of pressure. And we we kicked the ball more than any other team we had, and it was just our game plan. And I suppose that really was a bit of a light bulb moment that across the game, everyone does the same things like scrum, line out, attack, defense, but you can have really specific parts of the game that your team focuses on measures um trains does so much detail on that can help you win a game and and i love that side of it yeah and how much would you then look at opposition so with that kind of tony brown i don't know mindset it seems like they play the same way watching japan now like they have a real Mm. dna and i think was somewhat similar if i can recall with the highlanders and how much you would you as a coach now look at opposition and tweak how you're playing or would you really concentrate on yourself and your own attack? Yeah, if you're, if you're not looking at the opposition, you're missing a huge opportunity to get a win. Um, and I'm a big fan of having three players that you look at, manipulate, because generally when you play a team, um, let's say the All Blacks, like if you can shut down Bowden, Barrett, probably Artie Savia and Aaron Smith, if you can just knock them off their game or affect them, not let them just have a free run, that's going to help you a lot. And that's the same in, in all teams. If the other team has got three key players that if you can affect and put in situations they don't want to be in, um, bring them into rucks, run them off lines, um, it has a huge effect. So, yeah, it's definitely something that I put time and effort into. And would you have certain players then to go after them, like say sevens or just in general, keep them down at the bottom of a rook? Yeah, it's it's not really going after people, but I think just as a as a team, like presenting to the team, here's the three players we're looking at, this is what they like to do. And then that way when you've got 15 people that can all um, see something on the run, and if I just do this instead of not doing anything, then that affects the next phase. So definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, just going back to kicking, I, I saw on a video before you spoke, speaking about your focus when you were taking a kick and how it was kind of like razor sharp and people could be shouting or whatever, and you would just have that focus on on the ball. Were there ever times where you kind of struggled mentally around kicking? Yeah, absolutely. So someone asked me this morning, actually, via an Instagram message, like, when did like when did you feel really confident in your technique? And it was probably when I was 22. So I'd been playing rugby since 16. So if you think about all the kicks I would have taken 
before then. Um, I think you just haven't done enough reps and got enough muscle memory to like be fully 100% confident that you can nail your technique any day of the week. Um, and that was a big thing for me is when I had a huge stint of about six months where I literally kicked every day, just, I just become obsessed with it. Um, and you get to this stage where you just are so confident, a bit like when you watch golfers on the PGA tour, like they, they are so confident with what they can do with the club and the ball. And you get, you get to that stage after a while, which is really exciting. Um, and I suppose I had some really bad moments. I remember playing this one game for North Otago, actually, my hometown. And I I was, I was putting the ball on tee and I had already missed three from three. So I was, I was zero from three. And I was standing at the back of my mark, had no idea where this ball was going to go. I had no control. My body, <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. And that's not a nice feeling. And I always remember that game because it was a bit of a turning point for me. I was like, I've got to put way more work into this because I just I got no idea what's going to happen <laughs> might yeah. go over or I might completely scuff it or just no control no process so um yeah but you talked about then about the crowd shouting and it's a bit of a locked in state that I work on with players um it's literally having parents coaches family members try put yourself off and you still hear everything but it's just the ability to say, no, no, my thoughts are the priority. I can still hear you saying your jokes and your banter, but I'm just, I'm staying in this and I can execute it. And then I'll come back to you once I've done this job. Um, and it's a really good thing to practice. And I highly recommend everyone doing. Yeah. And so you found kind of throughout your career that once you had prepared, be it in different areas that you gained confidence from that in your game. The biggest gain in confidence I got was from making kicks in games. And the, that idea of practice kicks are the same as game kicks is completely wrong. And I, th I think that that's from people that have never actually done it. Um, once you, you know, when you've played in a big game, you've executed, doesn't matter whether you're a goal kicker or not. But as soon as someone's played a super rugby game, they're a super rugby player. And there's something there. Like there's, they walk yeah. around different, like they're, they're capped, they're a, they're a pro. Um, they weren't a week before, but once they've done it, now all of a sudden they are and they can really – and it's the same with, I find, goal kicking is you have to be good enough to get the kicking duties, but then the real magic happens once you've made a few kicks in games and the confidence comes. So you just got to be prepared for that and ready to go when that opportunity comes up. Yeah, awesome. And so then with starting Rugby Bricks, when did the idea for that come about? Mm. so i was actually playing for northland so the cap you've got on the the northland tunny fast and i was whenever you play in new zealand and i'm sure everywhere else you have personal development people come around the unions so someone from new zealand rugby come around and present and they talk about property and startups and different ideas and um so I, I always wanted, I had the idea that I would love to have something on my phone that I could do from anywhere in the world that was like a business. And so something that I could really become obsessed with. Um, and I, my main upbringing was basketball. That was my favorite sport. I played it all the way up to 16 um, and then got into rugby. So went to all the camps, um, went over to Australia a few times with New Zealand rep sides like I was just fully involved with it and so with that I was following a lot of content online 
with basketball. So NBA players, coaches, and what I was seeing was content that was so detailed and so high end um, that was really valuable. Like when you do, instead of just here's how to dribble, it's like when you want to do a fadeaway shot with a step back and a crossover to free up this space, this is how the dribbles that you'd take. So what I thought was within rugby that it was just, here's the three key things how to pass. Here's the three key things how to tackle. Whereas I knew from my coaching and my experience that there's so much more detail to all this stuff that I wish I had been taught, which probably why it took me so long to break into that Otago team. So all the stuff that I picked up from different coaches, Brownie coming through, other players that I played with, I was like, if I could package this in a way, it could really help a lot of people and a lot of players um, and give that high-end quality tips that I was seeing in sports like basketball and cricket and golf because not much was happening in rugby union. So that was the idea. Um, started in 2017. Uh, didn't know what I was doing. It was literally just on my phone, iMovie, putting something together. Um, and it's just evolved from re- from there. And things have got better. I've got better at presenting and talking. And um, that, that's why it all started. Awesome. And did you, did you ever kind of think about quitting or doubt yourself along the way when because it's it's not easy to kind of constantly be be putting out the content that you do like it's incredible and you know it takes a lot of work but were there ever times at the start where you were thinking well maybe there's other easier things to do definitely yep and you you always get those feelings of like why am I doing that imposter syndrome like does anyone like am I credible I've just I'm a player I'm not a coach when I started doing it um the idea was always to build an audience to then sell kicking tees to so i knew i wanted to do kicking tees and so i i thought well let's build an audience first gary v i'm I'm sure a lot of people have heard of yeah give give value first and then ask um so that was definitely a part of it is let's build this community build the content get people loving it and then offer a product after that um so that helped me a lot and I definitely feel like this rugby bricks person is a bit of a character. So um, I can definitely be Pete and chilled and not the rugby bricks guy. But then I can, when that when the camera comes on, it's almost I flick into a switch of this is what this person needs to sound like and present like. And so I've got that organized. Um, I had a good conversation with a guy who was starting a podcast. And I said, you need to write down a list of traits that that person sounds like in their vibe so that you know in your head what that character looks like. So I guess that helped as well as it wasn't, I'm not like that all the time, <laughs> um, barking yeah. orders and, and instructional, um, but I know what that person should sound like and what I want them to sound like when the camera starts rolling. Yeah, I think it's definitely important to turn it, be able to turn it off and relax and not be turned on all the time. Yeah. And you mentioned there just earlier about how you had to improve your speaking and a couple of other things. Did Were there any intentional things that you did to practice or to get better at certain things or was it just repetition? Yeah, I definitely respect the skill set behind communication. I've watched a lot of videos um, just about building rapport, timing, some things that are um, just different communication styles. Absolutely. So um, I've loved, and the most exciting thing about having rugby bricks is so many things that I look at and explore apply to it. 
like I remember watching this thing on YouTube about different thumbnails and how to get more engagement and the excitement for me to have watched that video and literally within an hour have changed some thumbnails to make it work and more engaging. Like there's always so many of those opportunities. Um, and I suppose just to the, the speaking points, I follow a lot of like um, the Joe Rogan podcast. I love comedians, their skill set behind storytelling. There is so much to it when you want to go down the track and learn about it. Um, and there's a lot of people that understand the craft behind it as well. Yeah, for sure. It's something that I found as well when I started coaching the importance of being able to communicate and get your message across in kind of as as few words as possible and yeah, kind of for other people to hear it. Yeah, you can definitely, I feel like with coaching and a lot of the coaching courses, it's it's pretty blank, blanket coaching and very um, like teacher background based. And I think um not all the time does that work like sometimes when you ask an open question like what did you see in that situation and why did you take that like if you just keep asking why and why and why all the time um sometimes the player just wants to know what you thought like yeah. that was shit like a lot of the girls with the wallaroos were quite surprised with my way and my coaching because they see the rugby bricks guy whereas a lot of the times they just need that little soft word of mate what are you doing like <laughs> um yeah so you have to be a human first and then a, a coach second yeah no for sure and what's been your proudest moment at rugby bricks <laughs> there's been a there's been a lot like sounds a bit cliche but every time i do see a kicker using a rugby bricks kicking tee it's a pretty cool moment and some of the messages that i have got um coming through like hey pete started following you in 2018 i'm two years on like i finally cracked the first 15 or made this rep side or the academy thanks for all the help that's that's pretty special that's pretty cool um and you asked before about was there any, any moments of stopping like when you're getting those once a week or once a fortnight that definitely inspires you to keep going and keep pushing out the messaging and it's going to help someone yeah no for sure and then how do you think of the teas or how do the teas go from your head to production? Yeah. So I wanted a New Zealand made kicking tea and that was a big thing for me. Obviously the brand of New Zealand rugby and everything that happens there. I didn't want it to be made out of China. And again, going back to the storytelling, like if your product's got a story behind it, then it means more to people um, and they can really own it. That's why the message of Outwork and Outlearn is on the tee because it adds to the story and why people love the product. Um, so Jason at JTEC Plastic in Dunedin, I used to work for a rugby company that did mouth guards. So I knew that he could create a mold and make something out of thermoplastic and, and do that. So I knew that he could do that. And then went out there, had a chat, uh, now that the words, world's developed and people have got 3D printers, so he's able to put in a design and 3D print it. And it ends up like, you know, like your plastic fork you kind of get from a fast food, like that real um, mm. tinny white plastic. So he prints that out. So we get a kicking tea of that. So I go and <laughs> kick and use those. They're terrible to kick with. Um, but at least it gives you an idea of if, is this thing going to work? And so that's how it starts. And then we started with the RB88 and did the Vortex range and now the Wolf, um, Wolf kicking tees. So yeah, that's that's the process. Cool. 
And then how did you go about getting them into the pro players? Was it just working on pushing it out to everybody and then they saw it? Yeah, so I asked a couple just to try try it out. And then when I'd used it, like when we did the Vortex range, I was like, I can't tell you how stoked I was with it. And me being a kicker for 10 years before this, I knew that when I was putting this ball on the tee, I was like, this is way better than what I thought it was going to be. So I knew that it was an epic product. And then the other thing that I respected is like, if you've got a tee that you've, and the same thing why a lot of kickers don't change. I was the same. Like I had the same kicking tee for six years. And I remember I lost lost it one day and went like mental, turned the house upside down to try and find mm. it because, no, no, like I've been through a lot with that kicking tee. Um, and so I knew that getting pro players to use it, it wasn't so much like there was no money amount or whatever. Like if they've got a tee that they've kicked, like if you think about all blacks that have kicked yeah. game winners with that tee, like – no, nah, I'm not changing. <laughs> yeah. So it was more, okay, let's just get this next wave. So the 15 to 20-year-olds that are all coming through, I, I want to get get the tees into those players' hands. But it's a lot of the pro players, again, hey, try this out. There's no pressure to use it. Um, don't have to pay me for it. If you don't use it, no issues. But they used it. They loved the experience and then we kicked on with it and been very fortunate. A lot of the players are loving using them. That's cool. Fair play. And like back 10, 15 years ago, it was kind of all low tees, like with the kind of four kind of prongs yeah. or whatever up. And now it's very much so a bit of height, like the the higher tees, like your, the 91 mil and the 114. Do you think there's a better way? Like say if somebody is starting out goal kicking, would you recommend a lower or higher tee or is it personal preference? <laughs> It is personal preference, but what I've found is that for a younger kicker who doesn't have much power purely because they're younger, the higher tee is a really enjoyable experience. Like a lot of, I mean, the testimonials that come through are like, I could only kick it from the 22 and now I'm slotting it from 30. That's not because the tee's magical. It's because I think on the higher tee, your foot's up the back of the ball a little bit better. And you've also got access to all that hip power. So it's like kicking the ball out of hand. We can all probably kick the ball out of hand a little bit further than off a tee. And it's because the ball's got a little bit more height on it. We're a bit stronger. Our hips are behind it. We're a bit taller. Um, and that's closer to kicking off the high tees. So that's why I think we've seen the trend change a little bit more. And I kicked off the, the Dan Carter low green tee for five years and then when I again when this massive sort of moment happened when I was like 20 21 I decided now nah, I'm getting after goal kicking I really want to make this a strong part of my game I changed to a high tee and I just there was none of those big rogue misses anymore where the ball just scuffed along the ground I was only missing just a little bit so I think the enjoy it's a lot more enjoyable goal kicking experience off those tees um However, if you grow up sort of like in the UK, it's probably the preference over there, the low kicking tee with that style and that technique and you build it and you understand it, like it definitely is a preference. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, yeah, I do think it is in the UK and Ireland, that lower one and very few players had that high one, but I think the high tee yeah. is more and more and more people are using them. 
And then you think about like what Owen Farrell's doing, right? So every kid just wants to kick the same as him. So that's probably why things are changing where it was Johnny before him, Carter as well. We all just do what's on TV. So um, I think that's why it's slowly changing. And who knows, in 20 years, we could be all back kicking off the ground. But you just got to go with the times. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've kind of talked about a couple of your different jobs, your two coaching roles and then rugby bricks as well. How do you balance it all? Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a bit on. At the moment, it's pretty low uh, end of the NRL season. Um, no no test footy with the Wallaroos. I've, I've actually finished yeah. up with them now. So um, that, that's been just such a fantastic time. I absolutely loved what I did with the Wallaroos. Um, I'm a busy person. I love being busy. And what it's forced me to do with Rugby Bricks, when I first started out, like I was doing everything, like in probably – 2019 fulfillment orders emails content everything one man band and then what you learn as you go through is to bring in team members with different skill sets so what I've been able to do now is set it up so that people are the team is looking after their own area um, and it's definitely something I've had to evolve with and give the responsibilities to other people so I'm able to focus on Storm or Wallaroos or Rugby Bricks. Now I've got a, a four-month-old daughter, so that's made things even busier. So, um, yeah, I love being busy. It's, it's a privilege. Yeah. And how have you found the podcast? That's I, I love it, as I mentioned. Um, yeah, love the episode of Wayne Smith recently especially. Thank you. That was a really highlight for me, the Wayne Smith one as well. Similar to yourself, it's it gives you a lot of energy and a lot of boost when you do them. Like it's there's so much fun. You learn a lot. Um, it really adds to. I didn't know why my business partner Kale wanted to start one. I I said to him, "Mate, we're so busy. Like we don't have time for this." But I'm so pleased that we did because it just adds to the the sort of brand experience. Anytime someone's listening to the Rugby Bricks podcast, like they're a part of our community and learning as well. So. We're all about adding value, and a lot of those chats are seriously adding value from people. So I've loved doing it, and again, with the skill set of talking and communicating, like it's it's just been so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And any plans? Like you said, you finished up the Wallaroos. Any plans with coaching going forward, or is it like more focused with rugby bricks? Because I did hear in an interview before that the Wallaroos job kind of came up out of the blue, or it was because through rugby bricks that it happened. I worked with a couple of girls here in Melbourne who just reached out, who played for the Rebels over here, Super W, um, and then I coached um, the Rebels 19s boys side, and then from that just um, an opportunity came up with the Wallaroos. So what's next? Um, big focus on rugby bricks probably for the next six months. Um and then looking at different opportunities. To be honest, like I've had a pretty <laughs> – it's been – uh, a challenging couple of years in Melbourne with COVID. Like we've just broken the Guinness World Record for the most amount of days of lockdown. Oh. Um, so not a Guinness World Record you want. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to yeah, hopefully get back to NZ, have a bit of family time and um, yeah, whatever comes next, I'm, I'm excited for. Nice. And is there anything you know now that you would have liked to have known when you were starting out Rugby Bricks? <laughs> Wouldn't probably nothing jumps to mind like you improve every day with what you're doing and no nothing cool (laughs) awesome 
Um, well, hey, thanks so much for your time and thanks for everything that you're doing with Rugby Bricks. As I said, love the podcast, love the content and uh, yeah, thanks for putting all that out there. No, I appreciate it. And again, thanks so much for the support, the community and everyone that listens to us or engages with Rugby Bricks. It, it does mean a lot. Cheers, Pete. Thanks, Brian. Really enjoyed chatting with Pete and hearing his story. Pretty cool what he's done from retiring as a player to creating Rugby Bricks and getting it to where it is today within a couple of years. Like it's probably the number one place online to find rugby skills content. Over 143,000 Instagram followers at the time of recording this and his kick and tease are used by Quade Cooper, Aaron Cruden, Connor Murray and lots of lots of other top kickers. On that, as I mentioned at the start of the pod, we're running a competition. So on my Instagram page, you can enter it and it's to win a Rugby Bricks kick and tee. One of your choice, he has a number of different ones for different style kickers. And you can enter that on my page at Offfield Rugby, the Offfield Rugby coach. And the winner will be announced on October 27th. If you enjoyed the podcast, please send it on to a friend who you also think would. If they're a player, there's definitely tons in that kind of first part of the episode that they will learn. And I also really enjoyed the second part, hearing how he kind of has built Rugby Bricks and grown it to what it is today. And if you could take 30 seconds, I would really, really appreciate it if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts to go onto the podcast app and leave a review and a rating. So in the review, just let me know what you enjoyed about the podcast. If there's a guest you've enjoyed over the past few weeks or a topic that we talked about, just let me know on it really really helps um, other people find the podcast by just leaving a rating and a review as i said literally takes 30 seconds it's really simple i greatly appreciate you clicking in and listening to this episode have a brilliant rest of your day cheers